Gordon B. Hinckley said, There would be no Christmas if there were no Easter. I think that's a pretty good quote. Makes you think mm-hmm. a little bit. But I think he's right. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity, uh, the show where every week me and Nikki do our best to help brothers and sisters in the faith walk that narrow path through this wicked and secular world that we live in, trying to dissect some of the news and focusing on some good Bible topics. And this week, there may be no better Bible topic than uh, Resurrection Sunday. That's tomorrow and should be the cream of the crop, I guess, of Christian holidays. Although I'm sure some Christians would push back that we celebrate it at all, but not us. Because it's about <laughs> Jesus, and we're happy to celebrate Jesus. So before we dive into this show, do you have anything you'd like to bring up, pray about, anything? I'm just happy my new mattress is coming. And just pray that it is the answer to my back pain. Yep, our new mattress <laughs> is coming in tomorrow. So if you guys remember Nikki deriding me on our previous episode about not buying her the right mattress, the new mattress was purchased. Thank you to everybody who contributed. Um, I think we kind of <laughs> went a different way. We'll see. And God bless people. They're like, oh, buy a sleep number. And we're like, yeah, we want to. And I told them once the podcast is up and rolling, we will buy a sleep number. That'll be our gift to ourselves. <laughs> um, but I, hopefully we got a, a good mattress. It seemed to be nicely reviewed. Um, so that is the third mattress in two years I have purchased. So I am no bed miser, I told you guys previously. I am happy to purchase mattresses. <laughs> I buy mattresses as often as I buy computers, apparently, nowadays. Right, Seems right. Like. It's getting close, at least. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, just pray that the bed works out. We sleep better. That would be nice. Or if it doesn't work out, we know pretty quickly so we can find something else. Um, but also pray for, I did my first jail ministry last week. Uh, went to the jail with a good brother from church and, um, just kind of introduced myself. He was leading the service and it was interesting it was really cool i mean i've never really been in a jail besides the orientation and then this time which have no problem with jail prisoners and such i feel like i'm at home with them (laughs) a little bit if my life would have went just a little bit sideways when i was younger i don't think i would be that far off from them so praise god for keeping me away from that but i don't think i was very far off from many of them Um, but just to be in there and you know i thought this is going to be like a little 30-minute Bible study. That's two hours. And you're literally locked in a box with these guys for two hours. So you have to come <laughs> prepared. It's a bit intimidating. Um, but they all seem, for the most part, pretty passionate. I knew one of the guys, unfortunately, um, William, who we had he had gotten out, came to our church. He's back in jail. So it's nice I get to see him. It's bad I get to see him in there. Um, But also, William did pray that he is going through some sort of, you know, he's kind of estranged from the mother of his child. She's kind of doesn't want to deal with him anymore. So he did ask for prayer for that, that they could somehow reconcile. I don't know how much longer he's in jail, but it was cool. Pray for me that that would go well. Um, It's just a neat opportunity to reach out to people who are desperately needing to hear God's word. And it's funny because we were kind of going through the sermon and uh, 
not really a sermon. It's more just a talk through, you know, scripture and stuff like that. And one of the guys was like, tell us a story. He's like, apparently they all get tablets, apparently in jail. Now everyone that checks in gets a tablet and they have podcasts and movies and stuff like that that are on these tablets. And he's telling us the story and he's like, yeah, we heard that on the, the tablet. Remember that? He's like, who's that one preacher we were listening to? And they're like, Furtick? He's like, no, 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 Olstein. <laughs> so apparently the two pastors they get to hear regularly in jail is Joel Osteen and Stephen Furtick. So pray for them. Yeah. <laughs> and listen, say what you will about Stephen Furtick and Joel Osteen, but I feel like the last people on planet Earth that need to hear their sort of prosperity message is yeah. people in jail. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that is not the message they need to hear. So yeah. pray for them. Anyways, it was a neat experience. Um, mm. And then uh, real quickly, Cardinal, I just want to plug them. And something I wanted to highlight here with their ability to sort of, you know, I mentioned the mission partners before and certainly something they can help you with if you're a church that's sending missionaries out the door. Um, but also if you're just a business that does regular travel, like to overseas or um, specifically if you're going to sort of, I mean, really anywhere, anywhere overseas, if you have business travel that takes you out of the country, Cardinal is a company that you should contact um, because one of the areas that Cardinal is able to help you with um, is coordination, which is a big piece that a lot of people don't do. You know, they think, oh, if things get bad, I'll call back home or, you know, I'll call my family. Um, but, you know, if you get yourself in sort of a tight situation overseas in a foreign country, Cardinal can put together plans and contingency plans for you to help you sort of elicit the help of the Department of State to leverage the Department of Defense in the region and sort of help you get their assets involved to get you out of a bad situation or keep you safe in a bad situation. Those avenues exist. You just have to know how to do that. And Cardinal knows how to do it. Again, they've been doing it professionally for 15 years and they can help you in your business, your church, whatever it is, sort of develop those plans for yourself. So if things do go sideways, you know, you're not trying to fall back on your hostage training. You, you don't want to rely on hostage mm -hmm. training. Uh, that's a bad spot. You'd rather get out of there before the hostage training needs to take effect. Um, and then last thing here before we dive into the god-awful dreadful news is uh, remember to the Christian podcast community. We've mentioned that before. We are going to be having our interview with Andrew Rappaport, who is sort of the founder of the Christian podcast community. That'll be coming out next week. Um, in addition to that, we'll also be releasing a episode from Andrew probably on Friday before the interview, just so you can kind of get to know who he is, what he talks about, sort of what he believes and stuff like that. So that'll be coming out Friday. And then one thing he asked us to mention was they are coming or they have a trip to Israel planned, sort of the Christian podcast community through his larger organization called Striving for Eternity that Andrew runs is putting on a, I think it's, uh, we'll have links to the, to the site so you can go check it out. But it's a multi-day trip out to Israel with few members from the Christian podcast community, pastors, kind of walking mm. you through the holy sites, all that sort of stuff. Great opportunity to kind of, you know, immerse yourself in the Bible and, you know, walk the, I mean, we've, that's something we've 
wanted to do forever. That'd be fun to go. Even with the kids, I think they're old enough to appreciate it as much as we've yeah. been teaching them. And I think, no, I think it would it. be, I mean, everyone that's gone to Israel has talked about what a profound experience mm. it was to sort of be immersed in where G go to where Jesus was born. And I mean, it would just be amazing. Mm. So that opportunity exists. We'll have the links in the show notes to go check that out. All right. <laughs> so take a second, catch your breath. We are about to enter the valley of the shadow of death as we look at the news this week. So um, probably the one of the big stories this week, if not the big story, there was a shooting in New York. Um, I'm sure you've heard about this and we're going to touch on it just briefly. <laughs> Here, um, so this article comes from The Blaze. Honey, if you want to read that headline in first couple paragraphs or something. Um, the headline reads, uh, Brooklyn subway shooting suspect arrested while wandering New York City streets will reportedly face terror-related charges. Yep, and then just that first paragraph there. Uh, New York City police have arrested 62-year-old Frank James, the primary suspect in Tuesday morning's Brooklyn subway shooting that injured more than two dozen people. Yep. So more insanity, more evil um, taking place in New York City. And we just want to kind of highlight a few points as we've read a couple different stories about this in preparation, just things that stood out to us. Um, so this first one here, oh wait, no, I think it's still back here. Um, let me see if I can find the exact quote that we're looking at. Yeah, do you want to read uh, this right mm -hmm. here? It says, the police quickly responded to the tip and eventually intercepted the suspect a few blocks away from St. Mark's Place in First Avenue. When officers caught up to James, they found him casually sauntering down the street. He was reportedly taken into custody without incident. That is good to know. Um, and then it says right here, oh, do you want to just read that too? Uh, James, who is from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, was identified as a suspect in the case after a set of keys and a credit card linked him to the crime scene. That is convenient. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it also says down here, uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, right here. A Glock 17, three Glock magazines, shell casings, bullets, two detonated smoke grenades, two undetonated ones, a hatchet, and a U-Haul key were found at the scene of the subway shooting in Brooklyn, police said. Um, and then it does go on. I don't know if it's in this article. Uh, but it goes on to say, the suspect in the Brooklyn subway shooting called in a tip to Crime Stoppers that led to his capture. Two law enforcement sources tell CNN, Frank James called in the tip to the police and told them he was at McDonald's on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. The sources confirmed. Police responded to the McDonald's and did not find James, the police official said. But upon driving around, they spotted him on the corner of St. Mark's Place in First Avenue and arrested him, officials said at the news conference. So just to sum up what we've read about this story thus far, and things are always, you know, liable to change. 
but as best we understand it, Frank James is a black-hating, black nationalist that decided to shoot up a New York City subway. After shooting up the subway, he left the gun, his magazines, smoke grenades, his van keys, and his credit card at the scene of the crime. Then left to go to McDonald's for a bite to eat, maybe. Although he did leave his credit card at the crime scene, so he might not have gotten food. Um, (laughs) Once at McDonald's, though, he called the police on himself, but got tired of waiting for them. So he wandered off down the street where he was arrested without incident. Alrighty then. Also, I did hear this week Bill O'Reilly had mentioned that where this shooting took place was a very busy subway stop in New York. Uh, I'm unfamiliar with it, but he says it was very busy. But he also made note that apparently he had spoken with someone. uh, Bill O'Reilly's obviously very connected in New York. He lives in New York. um, That there were no working surveillance cameras at that specific stop. Um, And then also the shooter, Frank James, just a few weeks before this shooting, um, was known to be living in Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that is. So coincidentally, Frank James from Milwaukee picked the perfect subway stop to commit his crime, and no one has the video. Hmm. It rings a lot like Jeffrey Epstein's suicide to me. Nobody was recording it on their phone either. They recorded the aftermath. Um, so, yeah. listen. Um, You know, we've been telling you on this show since we really started uh, that the news media are liars and they should never be trusted or believed outright. With that being said, um, you can make what you want of this story. You know, we're not going to elaborate a ton on this story other than to tell you that if you're interested, you really have to do your own homework. And that's going to unfortunately require you to, to do a lot more than just going to CNN and Fox News and figuring which one's telling the truth. Um, we found out recently they're both liars. They both take money and they both push propaganda. I mean, that, we didn't just find that out, but it's been made known. So um, another thing is that the articles do go on to mention that he apparently had some extensive YouTube playlists full of hate and vile things. That, however, has been taken down. So How do they we find can't those YouTube that. videos? Like Who? Well, I mean, once they you know, determined that Frank James was the shooter. They probably oh. just went on social media and stuff. And uh, that's how they found him. Okay. Some may say, we won't get into that. This isn't <laughs> a conspiracy show here. This is a Christian show. Frank James is the man they're looking for, apparently. So um, love to hear from you guys what you think about this story. Um, just a lot of coincidences. You know, I don't remember the last time I was in a shootout in a subway, but I don't know that I would be emptying my pockets. Anywho. Mm. So we mentioned this to remind you, um, if you want to read Romans 16, 17 through 18. Mm-hmm. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is 
known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, innocent as to what is evil. Yep. So obviously Paul is talking to brothers and sisters in the faith, but I think this is wise advice for us to watch out for those who cause divisions. Our news media, that is how, that's what they exist for is to cause divisions. Mm -hmm. And so that we won't be, um, or so that we will be innocent to what is evil and just getting caught up in hysteria and Mm -hmm. the news media exists to cause evil, to cause division. We've got to be aware of that every time we listen to them. And someone just posted about that and I commented about, um, you know, not everything that's conspiracy is conspiracy. I forget the scripture you posted, but I was like, well, we brought up how truth is called conspiracy today. So we have to, we kind of have to defend or get involved in what the media will call a conspiracy theory because we're like, no, that's truth. Yeah. So you have to like understand what the scripture is talking about and and always defend the truth right for sure and we're not necessarily saying this is a conspiracy it's just when you read all the facts you're like okay sure that's what they're telling us happened i don't know you guys let us know what you think it's just uh, a lot of it kind of looked like a slam dunk case there for the old nypd <laughs> they really needed a win so do you have any last thoughts on frank james no, we need right. to move on. <laughs> we will move on here. So the next story that we got here, just a quick one that I saw that I thought was interesting. Elon Musk offered to buy Twitter for $43 billion. So um, not really much to say about that. Don't really care that much. But people do seem to put a lot of stock in Elon Musk. Um, mm-hmm. And he does at least appear to be more of a free speech advocate than anybody that's owned Twitter in the last since Twitter's existed. So I just wondered why they would accept his offer or wouldn't. Well, he made the point as well because, you know, I'm not a businessman, but a business currently, until we fully devolve into fascism and stakeholder <laughs> capitalism, they have to do what's in the best interest of their shareholders. Okay. So if a business owner, the CEO of a corporation is like, I don't want to do that because it, I don't like it, but it would be what's in the best interest of their shareholders. I mean, Elon Musk has even gone out to mention that like, hey, if you don't do this in his best interest of your shareholders, like you can be basically taken to court for that. And, you know, it can cause a bunch of problems. So he's kind of forcing their hand here. We'll see. Yeah, because he said he would remove his his shares. Yeah, and he's the largest shareholder in Twitter. Yeah, so that's how he's... Which is, I'm happy to see this because Twitter's been a net negative on the world by a large stretch, in my opinion. And I'd be perfectly happy if they were just crumbled and done away with. But if that can't happen, then sure, maybe Elon Musk owning it would be Hmm. better. I don't know. People seem to like his cars. Maybe they'll like (laughs) his social media platforms. Um, But I just thought that was interesting. And... Anywho, we really have one or two, well, one topic we really wanted to touch on in the news this week, and it's a topic we've kind of been touching on, and um, it's really, it's just the most important to us, and I think we talked about Disney last week, but we want to talk about Disney again and sort of their headlong push into grooming your children for a life of sexual immorality and an eternity in hell, uh, because we think that's worth talking about. So. 
You want to read that headline, honey? It says, Disney family member Charlie Cora comes out as uh, publicly as transgender, defends LGBTQ rights for kids. Mm. Ugh. And then just the mm. first mm -hmm. three. Charlie Cora has publicly come out as transgender, a member of the Disney family. Charlie gave an interview to the Los Angeles Times that was published on Sunday amid the company's controversy in regards to anti-LGBTQ legislation. I had very few openly gay role models, said Charlie, 30, who is the stepchild of Roy P. Disney, Walt Disney's great nephew, and I certainly didn't have any trans or non-binary role models. <laughs> so, I don't know. My question is, can you be trans non-binary? No. Because according to Justice Kentaji Brown Jackson's supporting uh, human rights campaign, they define non-binary as an adjective describing a person who does not identify exclusively as a man or woman. They mm -hmm. also go on to say, while many also identify as transgender. So if you're still uncertain, if this whole like big push towards, you know, LGBTQ lifestyles, um, where that increase comes from, it's just more about confusion than reality. Because the human rights campaign, who, by the way, is a very big supporter of the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. um, they're basically defining this confusion for you. Because trans non-binary is basically saying, I'm not a man or a woman, therefore I'm transitioning to neither a male or a female. Sure, that's a stance you can take. confusion causes more confusion. It and is. And they need to back themselves into a corner, really, where they... It's what they're designing it for. But the article goes on, if you want to read this, um, this mm -hmm. one. Uh, yeah, it says, the science teacher who initially came out as transgender four years ago, I didn't see myself reflected in anyone, and that made me feel like there was something wrong with me. Yeah, so this okay. is Charlie, uh, apparently Charlie Cora is a high school science teacher, and she says, yeah, that made me feel like there was something wrong with me. And I thought, man, how sad. Like, if only we would learn to heed that voice. And like, yeah. if he would have learned to heed that voice, that there's something wrong with her. You know, there's something wrong with you and me too. Like, we're all, there's something wrong with all of us, right? We're all born into sin and we're all prone to every evil impulse. Like, your sin is, um, like, exposed. Like, it comes to your mind and you embrace it and want others to accept it instead of rejecting it and repenting. Like, well, and that's what they're confusing then. That's what they're pushing us to, right? Because mm -hmm. um, that uneasy feeling, like you said, I mean, that should be something that leads us to find, like, why do I feel uncomfortable about this? Why is this something that makes me different? Or, you know, whatever it is, seek yeah. the answers, you know? It's like, and I'm weird, and I'm going to make everybody accept this. And everybody is going to desire to be weird like me. And we're going to just yeah. convince people that they're, you know, just like me. And everybody's got to accept it. Well, yeah, I mean, because that's, I think, been Satan and his children sort of push now for a long time, right? Is, you know, make you feel victimized and mm -hmm. tell you that you're not wrong. The world's wrong for not accepting you. And that's been something that, I mean, not just the LGBT, 
uh, Q community, but we see this with racism in America, right? Um, hey, you're not, <laughs> your life doesn't stink because you have no work ethic or, you know, you had unwed children when you were a teenager. Ah, it's because they don't like your skin color. Like, I know, you know, <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that's kind of Satan's, I think, playbook here, right? It's make you feel victimized, tell you that you're not wrong, the world is. They just tell you like, hey, you know, you're perfect. This is the way you're supposed to be. This is who you are. You don't need to change. They do. It's kind mm-hmm. of the playbook. And then Satan just sort of gets the rest of his children together to gather around you and praise you in your sin, mm-hmm. which just cements you in that yeah. lifestyle. And it's yeah. heartbreaking, you know, for Charlie. But the problem with that, too, is that these people take that mentality and they just continue it on. You know, like, hey, well, this made me feel better about my sin. I didn't change anything, but I feel better about it now. So let me show you how you can feel better about your sin as well. Mm-hmm. It's just really wicked. It is so um, weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's sad when you hear people say stuff like that and you're like, ah, you were so close. Like that, that chance to like reach out to God and have him heal what's broken in you. And you're just like, you just missed it and you're gone. And that whole idea of being like, cemented in your pride and having all these Mm -hmm. people and fame and money pile on top of you only makes it that much more difficult and seemingly impossible for you to ever come out of it because this is my identity now i know they call themselves marginalized but it's like you created this group of people and then you say you're marginalized like you made it up you you created it (laughs) right and they're not necessarily marginalized i mean maybe they were in the past and that Sure, it was a shame, right? You don't want anybody to just be hated on because they're different. Um, But that's a far cry from being like, you know, I'm different and now the whole world needs to accept it. Like, even though it goes against your religion and your faith, none of that matters. And if they don't accept it, then... Yeah, you're going to lose your business. I mean, what was the masterpiece cake shop for all those years, right? Been getting taken to court because they don't want to make wedding cakes for gay couples. No, you will accept it. Like, we're marginalized, don't you know? So it's definitely crazy. Um, but do you want to read this next section of this? Is it in this article? Um, yeah, yeah, I think so right here it says, uh, equality matters deeply to us, especially because our child Charlie is transgender and a proud member of the LGBTQ plus community, Roy said. at the time yep Hmm. quality matters but i think that's sort of the key (laughs) phrase right there in the whole thing um Mm. says charlie is transgender and a proud member of the lgbtq Mm -hmm. Um, that pride and sin is what sends you to hell we're all sinners right we're all again we're all screwed up we're all messed up our sin looks different but it's all the same and it separates us from god Mm-hmm. But it's that pride and sin that yeah. keeps you away from repentance because you're not repenting for what you're proud of. Um, right. I don't walk around and go, Lord, I'm sorry for marrying Nikki. No, I'm proud of marrying Nikki. It worked out and I'm glad. So I don't <laughs> repent from it. So when you find this pride in you, even if you say the words, right, like it's vain, um, you're not really repenting because repenting isn't words, it's a heart issue, it's turning mm-hmm. away from sin. So he's yeah. saying right there, like, she's proud of it. 
And that's mm-hmm. ultimately until she learns to stop being proud of it, there'll never be true repentance. And the more people piled around you telling you, way to go, you're such a hero, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's so proud of you and all these kids are looking up to you. Like, what are the odds that you're going to be like, I'm throwing all that off and chasing after Jesus? I mean, it's what we need to pray people for. People just want to be idolized, even if it's for their sin. It's, it's for the vainglory. With right. this too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, I felt bad about something. Now I'm going to run so far in the other direction and just make it who I am now. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's just weird. And I mean, like the thing is, you know that there's pride there, right? He says it, Roy, Uncle Roy, whoever he is, says <laughs> it. Um, but you wouldn't spend millions of dollars, you know, time and effort to normalize it. Again, if you were repentant or sorrowful for it. Because um, <laughs> the thing is like, Hey, I'm on the way to hell with pride in my sin. And I just want to take as many people with me. And that's what's really wicked about it. I think everyone probably has this moment, not just with being gay or transgender, but like a moment where they're like, I'm in sin. Because everybody's going to know they're a sinner and, you know, on judgment day. But are they going to be found in Christ or not? Well, and we do this, I mean, and obviously we're talking about transgenderism, but we do this all the time. And unfortunately, a lot of times we don't even really notice it or pay attention to it as much as we do with this. Like I think about drunkenness, you know, being in the military, everyone's drinking, right? Constantly. And how many times are you like, oh, let's go out to the bar, man. Let's get, you know, let's get screwed up. Drunkenness is a sin that we're told can separate you from God. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're dragging everybody along with you. Hey, you know, let me drag your life down along with mine. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a thousand different things, right? That you can mm-hmm. drag people along with. We're focusing on transgenderism here because we think this is a bigger play for the heart and the eternity of our children. Um, so it's more important, but it's no really different, I guess, than any other sin that you just sort of take other people along with um, with you. And you see this with, I mean, I'll just talk about drinking. I mean, you see this a lot with drinking too, right? people that have become being sort of a drunkard, prideful. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I was out last night and I got so hammered. I was like doing this or that. And you're like, yeah, dude, that's embarrassing. Like you should be embarrassed when you're telling people about like puking your guts out, acting like a fool. You know, we've all been to that party or whatever. And it's like the guy at work that had got like drunk really early on in the party. And you're like, dude, you embarrass yourself terribly. And now it's just like a funny thing. Like, oh, I'm the drunk dude. Like, no, dude, you're a fool. (laughs) You need to stop. And don't bring other people along with you Mm -hmm. in your foolishness. So, um, I mean, all sin where there's pride and you start dragging people along with you is the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But this next article that we got before we really get into our Bible topic here, I think it ties in nicely because the focus on Disney is not necessarily Charlie. Pray for Charlie. She's not outside of God's reach, even though she's deep down in the pit. I'd feel like God can still reach her, so pray for her. But the bigger problem with Disney is the grooming. Mm -hmm. Um, They've talked about that they are a company that's seeking to groom your children, to indoctrinate your children in this homosexual LGBTQ Mm -hmm. lifestyle. That is a stated goal from their leadership. Um, So on that topic of grooming... Um, This story here from The Blaze, if you want to read that headline, honey. 
Yeah, it says uh, transgender female uh, psychologist worries that the trans trend among teens has gone too far, argues that peer pressure, social media is influencing them. Yep. Mm -hmm. And you want to just read through these two paragraphs? Uh, Erica Anderson, a 71-year-old transgender clinical psychologist who specializes in counseling transgender youth, has helped hundreds of teens gender transition, uh, the Los Angeles Times reported. But Anderson also has been outspoken in questioning the noticeably rapid rise in teenagers over the last several years who insist they're transgender, the paper said. And just read this one. Um, I think it's gone too far, Anderson told the paper. For a while, we were all happy that society was becoming more accepting and more families than ever were embracing children that were gender variant. Now it's got to the point where there are kids uh, presenting at clinics whose parents say that this just doesn't make sense. And I'm just like thinking, like you hear about stuff like this often and i'm like where's the stories about parents telling their kids no we're not doing that and just convincing the kid that they're not trans or gay and then the kid comes to their senses and like okay i was just caught up in the fad of it or like yeah. i'm sure there's lots of stories but you're not going to see that in the media well no because that's probably most of the stories yeah Cause, cause yeah like I think I'm a girl and they're like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go to your room. You're grounded. You're like, oh, okay. You yeah. Know. Like how offensive is that? Like, can you just imagine like, ugh. I mean, it'd be heartbreaking to hear. Um, well, you'll be like, where did I go wrong? You're going to be like taking you out of school. You're yeah. getting homeschooled. Well, yeah. We will get into that. <laughs> um, but the article does go on to say, um, or it quotes from the LA times piece that Erica Anderson was uh, interviewed in. And she says here, as millions of teenagers across the U.S. went into quarantine in 2020, Anderson found herself meeting more and more parents who were startled when their children came out as trans. The UC San Francisco Adolescent Gender Center, where she worked, saw a total of 373 new patients last year, up from 162 in 2019. Hmm. The teens tended to tell similar stories. They were in online school, had a lot of time on their hands, and were spending more time on social media. TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, and even video games allowed teens to craft virtual identities that they could then try out in the real world. Online, a stream of transgender influencers and activists told teens that if they felt uncomfortable with their bodies or didn't fit in, maybe they were trans. Some coached kids on how to bind their breast, how to change their name and pronouns at school, how to push their parents for testosterone. Um, yeah, crazy stuff. So, wow. But the thing is, like, of course, Erica Anderson is right. I mean, of course, she's right. And we've discussed this on this show many times, and we'll, um, we'll have links to the previous um, YouTube video that we've had. Science to Transgender Phenomenon in the Young from, from Abigail Shire. Um, you can mm -hmm. go check that out in the show notes. Um, but she makes this exact same case. Um, the nature versus nurture argument, I think, is really what they're saying. Is that settled? And we mm -hmm. mentioned this last week. That argument is settled from what we've seen in this spike. 
you know, the spike that we've seen is not nature. You want, if you want to say, ah, well, you know, one or 2% might be nature. Sure. We're all born into sin. It wouldn't and it looks spike different. that much in just a couple of years. Nope. And they've done studies on that. It's nurture. And the thing is, you don't have to believe that if you're like, no, it's nature and I'm not, but that's yeah. fine. Cause Disney believes it's nurture. The white house believes it's nurture. The entertainment industry believes it's nurture. Academia believes it's nurture. Mm -hmm. So as far as they're concerned, this argument is settled. It's nurture. And they're going to make sure that they nurture this LGBTQ identity in all these children. Mm -hmm. And I just pulled yeah. a quote here from a political sphere that wants to make sure nurture takes its course. The Democratic rep from New York, Carolyn Maloney, um, she's making our case when she says, across the country, books are being banned, which are depriving our nation's youth. But thanks to the New York Public Library and programs like Drag Queen Story Hour, New York City's next generation are getting a well-rounded education about LGBTQ plus issues and gender identity. Thank you, well Representative Maloney. I just wanted to comment on the nature, nurture thing, because uh, we're all by nature sinful. And so the nurturing part comes in like are we allowing our children to be their sin nature to be nurtured or are we nurturing the their spirit their born again part of them so it is like either way it, you're nurturing it's which one is being nurtured the sin are you nurturing it for that to grow and conforming their minds uh, to the ways of the world well, and I think that's what's so dangerous about this is because you may be doing what's right as a parent. You may be doing your best to or nurture them mm -hmm. in the way they should go. But the problem is in Disney and these people are telling you, well, we're going to be fighting against that. We are going to be pushing programs to your kids mm -hmm. that are going to be arguing the other side. And they we know how. Yeah. Yeah. And we know how influential media and entertainment can be. We're all subjected to that, which is why we recommend you. Get off all of it, um, you know, but so you may be doing the best you can, but when your kid's favorite celebrity that they're madly in love with or whatever is telling them things that yeah. are contrary to what you are, it takes a strong kid and it usually takes a lot of years for them to sort of grow out of that mm -hmm. and sort of remember back on what they were taught as kids. Because the Bible does tell us to raise your children the way they should go. And when they're older, they won't depart. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, if before they get to the they won't depart and they come back sort of a thing, if before that they've mutilated their genitals, they've been lavished with all this praise and um, adoration for some sinful lifestyle, it's going to be really hard for your simple mom and dad at home reading the Bible. You know, like they're getting inundated constantly mm -hmm. because it's not just like when we were kids, you know, and you put in a Disney movie and you watch it two hours. It's media 24 seven now yeah. on their phones, on their screens, at school, like everyone, even I told you in the jail cells, they get tablets now. They're being inundated constantly. So you're, you're fighting a losing battle if you even like invite this stuff into your home with your kids. So our advice is make your kids weird, homeschool your kids. Don't let them watch the latest technology or the latest movies. Don't let them have the technology. Don't let them on YouTube and Facebook and having cell phones. Make them the weirdo kid in your neighborhood. And I think 
God, I hope so, that you'll be rewarded in the end when the rest of the kids, because I remember, you know, it's something Glenn Beck has always mentioned um, about one of the girls who, I don't know, it's called like the righteous among the nations, I think back from World War II. Um, And one of the quotes that she said is that like the righteous didn't just become righteous in that moment. They just refused to go off the cliff with everybody else. So they basically just stayed where they were and the rest of the world went insane. And that's really what we're calling people to on this show. Just stand in what you know, which is God's word. And as the rest of the world goes insane, you just hold your kids where you are. Mm-hmm. You don't got to go backwards and become, you know, pilgrims and no, just stay where you are and just let the rest of the world go nuts. It is funny that I've heard that so many times. Although like, be pilgrims. Homeschool kids are weird. Like some of the yes, weirdest people God. I've ever met were in the public school. Yeah. How many goth kids we've seen walking around and, you know, like super emo Weird. and you're like, oh, this is normalizing you. And there were all okay. kinds of kids. There were quiet kids in public school too. And then there were the kids that were, you know, like our boys where they're showing off and Yeah. And all I that. think that like, whole like kids need to go to school to socialize that is, so... is a huge lie from these same people that want to indoctrinate yeah. your kids. Your kids don't, if they need to socialize, Take them to Awanas or something like that on a Wednesday night. Take them to church on a Sunday night and let them play with a friend you once or twice a week. You know what I love Boom, about socialized. homeschooling and going to co-ops though? And someone brought this up. I'm sure a lot of people have talked about this. When they go to school, they only socialize with people their own age. But when you homeschool them and they do co-ops and stuff, they socialize with people different ages they know how to talk to little kids better they're used to being around little kids and and they're in classrooms with other kids that they wouldn't normally be in class with at a school like if they're like autistic or you know they have a hard a harder time you know emotionally and stuff and they get to see they get to be around them and learn how to talk to them well in public school they're probably going to have their own classroom that they go to yeah um depending on the school i guess I don't know what they've made it different today, but they actually get more types of socialization when they're going, meeting with other families and kids of all ages. And then they talk with adults more often too. There's more adults around all gathered together. and Yeah, I mean, the whole notion of your kids need to go to public school to socialize, that's just a lie. Yeah. Uh, they don't need to. There's plenty of opportunities. So um, just wrapping up this article here with Erica Anderson. Um, She did get pushback, obviously, for what she was saying here. And I just wanted to highlight some of the pushback because sort of tied in nicely with what we were reading earlier. And um, some of the pushback she got was from this Dr. A.J. Eckert, who is the medical director of the Gender Life Affirming Medicine Program from Stamford, um, Connecticut. And he says, uh, we agree. Let me see where I can find it. Where does he say it? Um, Oh, at the top. Many in medicine don't agree with Anderson. Oh, Oh, he says right here. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong thing. Being trans or gender diverse is not a mental illness. And compulsory, compulsory psychotherapy is not the standard care for the gender-affirming model. Um, And we agree, right? We said it's not a mental illness. 
necessarily it's sin mixed with propaganda right. and indoctrination by and large. Um, and I guess you could say sin is a sort of mental illness that we're all infected with. But what's even more fascinating about Dr. Eckert, who is Dr. Eckert? Um, well, as it says here, <laughs> he is um, the state's first um, non-binary trans doctor. So they do exist. The what? trans non-binary do exist. And not only do they exist, they are working with your children. I don't understand. To convince them, like Disney, that their confusion is normal. I don't understand. And the best way to deal with it is to <laughs> give into it entirely and make it your identity. And then surround yourself with a bunch of people who think exactly like you. So Dr. Eckert is a trans non-binary Working with transgender kids. It's just crazy just thinking. So that's awesome. How far it's going to go. Like, I can't define what a female is or a man is, and I'm not either. It's like, I am nothing. And I don't know, just that whole thing. Like, you don't know what you are. If you don't know if you're a male or female, I don't know. Like, you're not even going to know if you're human. And that's the thing. We've talked about these thoughts and ideas before, sort of like, the Big Bang Theory and That's these sorts of I things. That's where I was going with. There was nothing well, created. Are, you know, <laughs> communism is such, is the same way, right? There are ideas that are so stupid that it takes really intelligent people with nothing but time on their like hand to, to come up you. with. So this is why a lot of these ideas come from academia, where it's mm-hmm. really intelligent people with time on their hand. And they're just like, hey, well, I don't like God. Well, neither do I. Well, let's come up with a new way. How about an <sighs> eternal particle? You're like, yeah, I'll take an infinite eternal particle. Well, God's eternal. Oh, that's stupid. What are you talking about? Like, but here again, they're like, you can't define what a woman is. No, you can. And they're like, no, academia, who has nothing but time on their hands, tells you you people don't even know what science is. And you ask them what science is, they're going to be like, well, whatever the person with the degree in in the white lab coat said, that's what science is. Yeah, like they can't even define it. Doctor Fauci is science. That's how we define define it. That's like their truth. They're like, what is truth? And they're like, God is truth. So the last article that we wanted to touch on here um, is, well, and before that, I just wanted to make the point that because we're going to continue to beat the drum on this grooming transgender thing for as long as anybody will listen to us probably, or the Lord comes back. But I think that this might be the fight of our era. Um, You know, we've kind of been confused, I think, to think that it's like socialism or racism or the bigger picture of like globalism, you know, that's the fight that we have to have. But I think it's this sort of subtly grooming of our children that's been going on for decades now, um, but ramping up more so in the last 10 to 15 years, kind of behind our back. And this is a fight that we need to win, you know, And then if you throw on top of that sort of the satanic push for abortion in this country and sort of see those two kind of working Mm -hmm. in tandem together and how they're just snuffing the life out from our kids and not just our earthly life, but our eternal life, you know, because they're really going after kids, though. And you think about it, they hate children. Right. And because socialism, bad, right? Racism, bad, of course. But like. You can still get saved through racism and socialism. Um, The black people in uh, slavery America were profoundly faithful people. Um, 
But when you start getting into this sexual, Im sexually immoral lifestyles, man, you lose a lot of them. You lose a lot of them and they're hard to get back. And I think, you know, I heard a stat that it back in like 1960s, it was like 1.1 or 2%. I think it was 1.2% actually was like considered LGBTQ in America. And today it's at like one in five. So 20%. So we're at 20% of our children nowadays that we're losing. And the number of those that you get back, I think is far smaller than that. So I think this is a fight for our era that we need to take on a win. We're winning the war on abortion, I think. We can't let up, but I think we are winning there. But we need to put that same sort of ferocity towards mm -hmm. this transgender homosexual push because, you know, and maybe they're, you know, I don't know, maybe they're giving us abortion. And while they're, you know, have us, you know, dang, watching the dangly object over here, you know, you got to pay attention to what the other hand's doing. Um, but I do think that's a fight. And so with that, I kind of wanted to tie in this last little bit of an article. If I could just go fully down the rabbit hole of conspiracy. We already talked about Frank James. Um, <laughs> so why stop there? But this article here from 538.com, if you want to just read this headline, honey. It says, how low can America's birth rate go before it's a problem? Oh, yeah. And then just read this paragraph. Mm -hmm. But just because America's fertility rate isn't going to return to that 2.1 number anytime soon doesn't mean that the fabric of society is going to collapse. In fact, low fertility poses some advantages, easing ecological pressures, preventing overcrowding, and reducing the infrastructure costs that come with a growing population. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, if I were a conspiracy theorist, no, I'm not. I'm just a Christian. But I could very easily believe that this is a large part of the goal of all these movements. The abortion industry, the LGBTQ movement, mm -hmm. uh, destruction of the nuclear family trading in marital relations for quick sexual encounters, mm -hmm. all with the aim of depopulating the world. Um, and I know that's crazy, but Bill Gates, as we know, he's a very big um, depopulationist, as well as there's things like the United Nations Population Fund that is a nat or an international um, mm. governmental body to defund or to depopulate yeah. the world. And there's many, many more. And I was just thinking on, how God commanded be fruitful and multiply. And it doesn't matter how many people are born on the earth or how many are alive at one time. God is fully capable of um, governing all of it. It doesn't get too um, burdensome, too many people for him. But Satan is too much for him. He's got to make it smaller, you know, fewer people, yeah, easier Satan's to control. He can't be everywhere at once. Yeah. Like the seven, fact that he's people. got all this going on, it just shows how weak he is. He can't well, control also, everyone. It's, I think easy to see. Satan always goes for the alternative, right? If God says to be fruitful and multiply, what is Satan going to tell you to do? Be hateful and murder, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that's what we're seeing here, you know? And I think with the depopulation idea, um, if you allow me to go down that road again, you know, it would be hard to just 
kill off a large population or a large chunk of population, um, you know, like 20 million black children through the abortion industry. Never mind. Um, it'd be hard to just kill off that many kids, right, with tanks and guns. But if you could convince a mother to just kill her two children before she has, you know, gives birth to them, and you call that freedom, and you just mm-hmm. do that to millions and millions of women, um, and then if you could convince 25% of the youth to become transgender, mm-hmm. mutilate their genitals, right. um, become homosexual, same-sex partners, if you could do away with the traditional family structure that encourages you to be fruitful and multiply and replace that with like Tinder dates, then in the course of a few generations, you could decrease the population of Earth and you'd make your hands look clean. You look like the good guy. You know what the other thing is, is how hard it is to even become um, a foster parent or adopt a kid. They don't want you to. It's oh, got to no. be so expensive because they want them to outgrow the system and have never been brought up in a family, you know, that's going to teach them the truth. No, I mean, the adoption industry is insane. Like if you look at, I mean, to adopt a child, it takes tens of thousands of dollars, years worth of paperwork and interviews and all these sorts of things. Cause they're like, we want to make sure the child gets in the right home and what's the best situation for the child. But if you remember the honorable, esteemed Reverend Senator <laughs> Ralph Warnock, he voted against parental notification of abortions. So these people want to put years worth of roadblocks in front of you to adopt a baby. But if you want to be a teen and go get your baby murdered and ripped out of you, you don't even got to tell your parents about that. We'll make that easy as can be. Everything's about the kid. Like, how can you not see that as evil? Yeah. But they call it freedom. And that's like what's so wicked, especially when you look at it in the larger picture of racism in America, right? They tell you that Blacks are so oppressed and, you know, the white supremacy in this country is so outrageous. But if they would have kept those 20 million black children that they encourage you to murder on a yearly basis, I mean, what would be the population percentage in this country of African-American to white? I mean, I think African-Americans are like, I don't know, 15 to 20 percent or something. I mean, you'd be upwards of like 30 percent of the population or no, maybe not 30%, but uh, yeah, maybe around 30% of the population, you would no longer be a minority class in this country. But instead, they've convinced you to kill off the majority of your children and then convinced you that you're somehow a victim because you're a minority. And it's like this satanic circle of like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, the politician's going to convince me to kill my child. I kill it. They're going to convince me that I'm oppressed somehow, but if I vote for them, they'll fix it. But then once they get in office, they just convince me to keep killing my children and, you know, oppressing. Like, it's this satanic circle that they're just trapped in. And man, it's just... It's hard thinking (laughs) on it. It's insane to think about. But that's sort of our crazy depopulation. uh, Not our theory, of course. We would never go down that road and be that crazy we're reasonable level-headed people here uh but before we go on i just wanted to uh before we get into our bible topic i just wanted to touch on one last little bit on disney here and i want to keep hammering disney because they're basically one of the largest entertainment companies in the world i mean they own obviously disney they own sports they own everything so um but they're bad guys (laughs) they are really bad guys and we have to stop 
um, really just cut off anything Disney that's involved in your life. And that's hard because, again, it's sports as well. Um, but I got this from the Christian Post. If you want to read this headline. Uh, it says, Cole Sprouse says his female Disney co-stars were heavily sexualized at a young age. Yep. Mm. So he says that same thing down here. He revealed that when he broke into the industry, oh, sorry, I could actually put this on the screen. Um, when Cole broke into the industry, he witnessed female co-stars being sexually exploited at an early age, um, which he said, thank God, is not something that happened to him and his brother. Um, mm. So transgenderism, gender identity, and this sort of push from them is only one form of the grooming that Disney's heavily involved in. Mm. Um, Sexual immorality just in general um, is something that Disney apparently is heavily involved in, according to Cole Sprouse. But then the entertainment industry at large has been always known for this grooming and sexually abusing young children. Um, so we, you just can't support Disney anymore. I mean, I get it. The Mandalorian's there. Star Wars is there. I get it, man. But you got to draw a line. Because you're you're playing in the devil's playpen, quite literally, when you're dealing with Disney and it's, these people. Yeah. And it's one thing if you're kept in the dark. If these stories had never came out, and you're just like, ah, yeah, there's always been a rumor about, you know, the word sex written in the clouds or something. In I Aladdin. remember that even as a kid, and I was like... But you don't really notice it. Really it really does, though. But it's out here now, and they are literally telling you, we are doing what we can to take your children to hell with us. They're saying that... You can't support yeah. that in any way shape or form anymore um as christians we've got to decide if we're in the kingdom of god or if we're in the kingdom of satan um Disney, everything that we do is like supporting something evil it seems but when they come out and you hear them say it now your conscience is going to yeah really uh get at you and it's now now i feel like now if you do support them or you're just watching their movies or whatever else um like you feel like you're sinning now yeah because i mean that's what they always say right if you say like oh, i'm opposed to this and they're like oh well you're not gonna you know if you're saying you're opposed to the vaccine or something because of aborted babies and they're like oh you're gonna not take ibuprofen you're not gonna do this yes they're all wicked i got it but i'm gonna cut off what i can where i can and when it's made known to me right then i'm going to adjust Yes, I get that everything's wicked and you still have to live at some level, but you could always go the route of Vody Bakum when he said, if you want to avoid persecution, just compromise. Yeah. And you can do that here and go, yeah, I like Star Wars. And then when your kids are cutting their breasts off at 13, you can be like, maybe Star Wars wasn't worth it. God willing, I'm just being hyperbolic there. I pray to God that'll happen to nobody's children, but just trying to make a point. We got to separate what's good and what's evil um and i think yeah. thankfully the evil is making it really easy to separate yeah and then last bit here because i just want to clear this up because we mentioned uh judge kentaji brown jackson every racial idolater's favorite <laughs> supreme court justice now um and i just wanted to mention her because the human rights council who is huge in supporting lgbtq communities um they also are strong backers of Kentaji Brown Jackson for the Supreme Court. So mm -hmm. good to know that when they're claiming she's a Protestant, non-denominational Christian, 
Uh, I don't know if the human rights campaign caught wind of that. So that's why we mentioned <laughs> it. So any last thoughts here before we move on, honey, into our Bible topic? Um, I was just thinking on like the just teachers who um, are, you know, trying to teach our children these things, um, talking with them at a young age about sexual identity and causing confusion and even doctors, um, even talking with kids about this. It's like they're supposed to be professionals in like child psychology, both these professions. But now they're, you know, you're, we're supposed to be able to trust them. Yeah. But now it's like we can't even trust them, the people who are supposed to care about the mental health, the physical health of our children. It's just... Well, because they care about it, but they've taken out any aspect of spiritual health. They've thrown that all out the window. And when you throw out the spiritual health, then, yeah, you're just sort of at the whim of whatever the latest academic research is. And again, we've talked about the academic research as being funded by people who hate God and mm -hmm. um, are perfectly happy with, you know, taking your kid to hell with them as long as it makes them feel good about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely sinful. Yeah, it's really bad. It just, the verse was Ephesians 5.3 says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. So, yeah, they're, this is this is our children's eternity at stake. It really is. Um, no, for sure it is. And I think on that teacher point, you know, one of the thoughts that I had, you know, and we sort of talked about was this idea that like, you know, 10, 20 years ago, right? Like if you would have taken a high school or a, an elementary school teacher and said, hey, you know what, on Thursday, why don't you go and talk to your first, second, third graders about your, you know, your sexual identity and what your, you know, sexual relationship is with your spouse, your same sex partner, or your husband or wife, teachers would be horrified mm -hmm. that that would be a thought that, you know, people would want them to do. But now we have mm -hmm. teachers throwing fit fits on the internet and on TV that they aren't allowed to talk to their young children about their sexual lifestyle. And now you've got, you know, just normal teachers, even the ones that aren't completely radical, that are just so willing to promote this idea. And it's simply because they're told to. And mm -hmm. I had that thought of sort of like the Hitler's monsters, right? Where people think, oh man, how could these Nazis, how evil must they have been to stick, you know, these Jews in ovens and kill them the way they did? And they weren't. They were just normal people following mm -hmm. orders. And that's just how simple it is. Like these teachers, you got the crazies on the far fringes, right? Yeah. But you got the normal ones that just go, oh, I guess it's health class. And we're talking about, um, you know, our sex ed classes to fourth graders. Okay, kids, listen up. Like, are you kidding me? You don't go, know. yeah, I'm not talking to children about sex. That makes me a pervert. And I'm not doing it. And are that. you willing to be fired over saying no? It's crazy. I don't know. I just made me think it was just today I saw this. Someone posted, um, says, if it takes a law to stop you from holding a classroom discussion with five-year-olds about sex, you shouldn't be a teacher. Actually, you shouldn't be allowed within several miles of a school. 
Yeah, we used to have words for those people. Like, um, how do you differentiate between a a sexual predator, or you know, and and just a teacher teaching classroom? Like, you can't. Like, those well, lines are going to be teacher blurred too. is credentialed, which yeah. makes it better. And so uh, that just help. That's just going to confuse kids on learning who they can trust and can't trust. Oh well, they when want it comes them to, to be their own safety. There. That's what the pedophile wants: is you to be trustworthy of them and they can bring you in i mean that's the whole idea of grooming is to make you comfortable with this lifestyle so that they with can talking and using these words and like yeah they want them to be comfortable with it yeah with like the who idea thinks sitting down and talking to a nine to ten year old about their sexual identity and their preferences is in any way so as we end our look at the news today um i just want to say and the reason why we're going to continue to hammer this point is that we need to stand for the truth and we need to stand against all lies. Um, whenever we see them, wherever we see them, again, we can, we're not in a world today where we can just sort of keep our head down and ignore what's happening. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, is, the war is being fought. And if you're not fighting it, you're losing because they are fighting against you. So you need to get into the fight and get engaged. And if that just takes you fighting with your, your children against the world, then do it. Um, we can't be those go along to get along people anymore. You know, not when the truth and lies are the sort of conversations that we're having. And that's what we're having. We're being told, you know, we're being told stuff that we blatantly know is a lie. And we're just being convinced and strong armed that we have to believe it. Mm -hmm. Hey, that guy can have a period and you better believe it. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess he can have a period. No, man, you got to be like, that ain't happening on my watch, like not happening. So I just wanted to end on this verse here. Um, it's kind of lengthy, but Ephesians 17 through 25 says, Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because, they're, because of their ignorance or because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your, which belongs to your former manner of life and is co corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Hmm. So our children's souls depend on us speaking the truth, and that is why I think, really, today, this Easter message is so good, and I believe it really ties in perfectly with what we've been talking about this whole resurrection message so um that does sort of end our look at the wicked awful news and brings us into our bible topic and i do want to just um open our sort of easter talk really just getting into a few few short passages of scripture if you guys will allow us some time to just read through these um, i think it'll be beneficial so I'll kick it off here, honey, and then you can read the next one. Okay. So the first verse we have here from John 19, 25 through 26 says, 
Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. Mark 15:40 says, Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. And then Matthew 27, 55 says, Many women were there, watching from a distance. Luke 23, 49, But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. Matthew 26, 74, Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. So Jesus was led to the cross to be crucified, and his closest followers, except for a few women and possibly John, were nowhere to be found. Peter is even recorded to have denied him. Hmm. So then if we move on, Luke 24, verse 9 through 11. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. John twenty nineteen. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Yep, so here Jesus has been brought down off the cross, laid to rest in the tomb, and fear and disbelief has grabbed the apostles. And this is where we find our apostles. This is who they are after three years with Jesus, being taught by him, watching him every day. Fear and disbelief is where they are. Mm. And then if you fast forward to the end of their lives, though, and only mm. the Apostle James' death is recorded in Scripture, but if you want to read that, Acts 12, 1 through 2. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Yep, and then the death of the rest of the apostles um, was recorded extra-biblically or sort of passed on through tradition. And all except for John were martyred for their faith. Um, though they did try with John, he was boiled in oil, but he did not die. Um, <laughs> but they were crucified upside down in Peter's case. They were beheaded, impaled with stakes. Or in the Apostle Philip's case, he had iron hooks impaled through his ankles and hung upside down until he died. So the reason why we go through this is to ask the question like, so how did these men, who were fearful, cowards even, become men that would stand before crowds, rulers, and eventually die in excruciating ways? Mm -hmm. um, well, in Luke 36, or in Luke mm -hmm. 24, I believe. Yeah, Luke 24, verse 36, and then 45 through 49, if you want to read those, honey. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. 
but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Yep. So how did they get there from fearful, um, disbelieving cowards, basically deniers to men who would be crucified upside down. And I believe what happened is exactly what scripture says happened to them. I believe they saw Jesus in his resurrected body, that he explained the scriptures to them and left them with the certainty that the message they had heard and seen while he was with them on the earth, like what he shared with them after the resurrection, that it was all true. Um, I think they Mm -hmm. no longer had a reason to fear because Christ was risen. And that promise of eternity with him in heaven, like they just no longer had the same doubts that they had when he was on earth. It just makes me think, and I don't know what verse it is, but when Jesus, um, in, in this man, well, he said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And this is like where the disciples, the apostles were. Like they yeah. believed, but they still had unbelief. And Jesus did help them with their unbelief. He um, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He showed them everything in the Old Testament that pointed to all of this, that he fulfilled it all. And they understood right. it where before they, they didn't. They didn't see it. Right. Not only did they necessarily not believe it, they thought it was nonsense. Mary told them, hey, I saw the Lord. He's risen. And they're like, are you insane? Like, they didn't just doubt it. They thought it was a nonsensical argument. And they knew that he had said it. They just couldn't see it. And yeah, I mean, he proved it to him, right? I mean, obviously doubting Thomas, he put his finger in his hands. He ate fish with them. Like, I'm alive, man. Here I am. Um, hmm. So I think John Stott has a quote, and he puts it this way. And I think it's really well put. He says, perhaps the transformation of the disciples of Jesus is the greatest evidence of all for the resurrection. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Whenever you have someone that, you know, wants to question you about, well, how do you know Jesus rose from the dead? I think the best argument you have is the disciples, the apostles. I mean, and because, you know, we were telling our kids this um, today. There's a lot of crazy people that'll do crazy things, right? There's, you know, Islam people will strap vests to themselves and blow themselves up. But they're crazy to begin with right? That's not who the apostles were. They were cowards. They were fearful and they had disbelief. So this is not who they were. They had a radical transformation from men who were hiding in locked rooms for fear of the Jewish rulers to where they would take this message to India and Africa and be impaled and beheaded and stand before rulers. That's these same men. So they had to have had some sort of transformation And it can't just be like, well, I mean, what else am I going to do? And all of them endured till the end. Yeah. I mean, even John, they tried to kill him, but God had a purpose for John. He still had a book to write. He couldn't die. (laughs) Um, So, but they tried. So, you know, how does this tie back with our earlier discussion on Disney? You know, sort of the groomers and the need for us believers to stand for the truth this like unwavering stand wherever we see those lies Mm -hmm. or whatever sort of distortion of God's truth where we need to stand. You know, I think like the disciples, I think it's natural to have hesitancy or even fear about like ruffling feathers, right? We don't want to be the bad guys in the situation. We want people to like us. That's a human 
trait or a natural to humans. We want to be liked. Um, and it's uncomfortable and it's scary to be sort of standing alone against this onslaught or this wave of evil that's coming at us day in and day out. But I think Easter Sunday it should serve as sort of a reminder that Christ did rise from the dead. Or, yeah, rise from the dead. He's no longer dead, right? He's risen. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, like the scriptures tell us to. Um, and that promise of eternity that the disciples understood and learned after he rose, mm -hmm. that promise is for us today as well. Um, so that should give us the confidence that whatever sort of discomfort we deal with in this life, whatever kind of fear we have, um, it's worth it to stand for truth and to stand for Jesus because that promise of eternity awaits us. And it awaits your children too, if you raise them properly in the way they should go. And uh, I think that should just give us confidence, man. It gave the disciples confidence. Mm -hmm. It took them from fearful to faithful. Um, you know, and I just think that that should be sort of the mindset that we take into this world um, for this Easter, you know, obviously just praise God and be thankful, but then also, I don't know, find your courage in it that, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. It'll be difficult. You know, you may be forced into a couple corners and have to make some tough decisions. But at the end of the day, I mean, my God, if Philip can be hung upside down to die, you know, you mm. can lose a job, you know, right. it's not the end of the world. So, um, I just wanted, to, I remember this great song, uh, or a song I liked from Trip Lee. I just wanted to play it really quickly. We'll end it on that little section there. But I like where he says, death is just a doorway to take me to my faithful lover. Mm. And I think that should be the reminder, man. As bad as it gets, death is just a doorway. Obviously, we don't want to leave too soon or before we're ready. But if that's your mindset that to be absent from the body is present with the Lord, what does it matter, mm. right? Like if you knew him, just think they knew him and they longed to be with him again. They saw him. Like we haven't seen him yet. And we long to be with him. Yeah. Like we can have the same faith and longing that the apostles had. You know, we are yeah. one as Jesus prayed in the garden to the father, like that they would be one. And he says, I don't pray for them also, but for those, for the others that will uh, believe. No, I think, yeah, that should be the mindset, the reminder, this, um, I just, if you read through the resurrection stories, uh, we've been doing that on my five minute daily podcast or daily devotionals. And <laughs> I think it's maybe Luke's gospel. I don't remember, but there's a section where Mary Magdalene comes back and tells the disciples, it says that they didn't believe, but it says like, but Peter, he got up and ran to the tomb. So like all the disciples are like, what are you talking? And Peter's like, what? He's alive. And just like bolts out the door and runs to the tomb. And I thought, man, like, here's the chief denier. Mm. The guy who denied him three times, he becomes the chief believer to the point where like, Jesus is alive. And he just like smashed through the door. Like, maybe they're like, <laughs> wait, he's coming. And Peter's just already gone. They're like, okay. 
but he's like, I don't care, man. Like if he's alive, let me see him. And then it's fascinating. You know, when you go into John 21, that's where Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And you know, Peter all three times, like, yes, Lord, of course I love you. So it's just a fascinating look. Like we should all strive to be Peter, right? Just a complete idiot for Jesus. You know, <laughs> our guard comes up and you cut the guy's ear off and Jesus is like, Whoa, man. Like, but he's just, who cares? Right. Um, it's just, yeah, it should be our reminder. Like just be an idiot for Jesus. <laughs> you know, people go, Oh, your kids aren't going to get socialized. Good. I don't want them to socialize with evil. Yep. Let them stay home and be weird for Jesus. Like I am. <laughs> that should be the mindset. So do you got any last thoughts before we get into our sermon recommendations here? Um, uh, no, I don't have any last thoughts on it. All right. Um, homeschool your kids. So our, we have two sermon recommendations for you. One is just on the resurrection story, and it's R.C. Sproul sort of preaching on Mark 16, um, Mark's resurrection story, verse 1 through 13. Um, it's a pretty short sermon, I think about 23 minutes, so you guys can get through that. And then our second sermon recommendation comes from a friend of ours. We've plugged this church before, really good sermon yeah. Lake Chelan Bible Church in Washington. And he's preaching on John 8, 31 through 34. This is just more, just a good <laughs> sermon to listen to, right? The truth that will set you free. Um, mm -hmm. So give these a listen. Um, if you're a uh, first time listening to Lake Chelan, maybe drop them a subscribe and a like. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. But any last words before we end this episode? um nope <laughs> all right man we just want to wish you guys a happy easter uh enjoy church bring a friend with you it's always a good gospel opportunity on easter um don't lose sight of the lord through all of the easter eggs and <laughs> don't eat too many chocolate easter bunnies um, don't lose the diet just for easter <laughs> and otherwise make sure you come back monday for the daily devotionals and then on saturday again or friday i'm sorry we'll be back with andrews uh, Andrew Rappaport sort of special get to know him kind of episode although I think it's not going to be a get to know you it's probably going to be a punch in the face kind of episode um, and then our interview with him on Saturday will be really good as well otherwise that's all we got God bless oh hello meet Optima Health your friend for Medicaid coverage. Like any true friend, we can help make life a little easier with discounts on healthy food and gift cards for pregnancy and child checkups. We include vision and medical help 24-7. See more benefits at OptimaMedicaid.com slash hello. It's time to say hello to Optima Health, a health plan you can count on.